This is PE Talks Africa, a podcast by the African Private Equity and Venture Capital Association. My name is Yossi Olaleye and I'm the Marketing and Communications Manager at AFCA. In this podcast series, we hear from the innovators, the entrepreneurs, the investors and the change makers who are driving Africa's growth story through private investment. Join us as we discuss the key trends and issues around the private equity and venture capital industry in Africa. In this episode, we're talking to Albert Alsina, the founder, managing partner, and chief executive officer at Mediterranean Capital Partners. Albert is also the author of Value Creation in Private Equity, a book he wrote and published in 2020. We'll be discussing the themes explored in Albert's book, including his eight-step value creation model and his thoughts on sustainability and impact in the African private investment space. so much Albert it's lovely to have you joining us today and we're just going to talk very briefly about your book um, and about the themes that you've explored in the book about value creation as a concept within private equity in emerging markets but also in Africa specifically because that's where we operate but to start with, so you're, you're the founder and chief executive officer of Mediterranean Capital Partners, and you have nearly three decades of experience leading, managing, and growing businesses across the world um, and across sectors. So can you just talk to us a little bit more about your background? You know, how did you come to first setting up Mediterranean and then, you know, your experience over the years and getting to the point of writing the book? Is it is the book something that you always wanted to do or did it come out as a result of the years of working in the private investment space in Africa? Thank you, Yossi, and thank you, Afka, for inviting me to, to, this, uh, to this little interview. Look, I, I, my background, it's more an operational background. I have been a general manager uh, uh, for many large organizations in many countries and many of them in emerging markets and some of them in Africa. Uh, so I always came uh, to the private equity space with a strong, you know, uh, operational uh, managerial background. And I think this is actually what led me to, to read the book Value Creation in Private Equity. I think that to me has been uh, the big, I would say, uh, push for me writing the book. Uh, is the fact that my background has been always managing companies, no? And then what I've done over the last, you know, uh, couple of decades has been to to create a model that can be copy-paste to all the companies where we invest. But the model, of course, is not only being created by me, it's been created by me and my partners, well, my internal capital partners, which are an outstanding group of people, you know? And when we created the company in 2014, uh, one of the key I would say variables that for all of us, the partners of Mediterranean Capital Partners was important was the fact that we are going to invest in companies that we can actively participate in that value creation. And not only that, but also investing with a strong purpose. And that, the combination of the two, the value creation and the purpose-driven organization uh, led us to, to, uh, to be who we are today. Um, of course, with a, a group of excellent and extraordinary people which is the, the team that we, we work at uh, at the company. The book came up by 
my partners uh, asking me to, to create a little guide for the new members of the company, the junior members of the company, how, how they should uh, you know, uh, behave and what they should do and what they should focus when creating that value. Uh, it started with uh, a little guide, then continue with, uh, I'm a teacher at the university, I do that uh, as well, as I think it's an important contribution to, to the world is to pass your knowledge to other people. So uh, I decided to write uh, at some point a, a PhD. So the combination of my, me writing a PhD, the, the, my partners asking to do a guide on how do you create value in companies, all of that led us to this book which I, I put a lot of effort, I put a lot of love, I put a lot of dedication, and I think it comes a very structured way on how to implement this value creation model that we have in the company, and we continuously and repeatedly implement within our portfolio companies. Thank you for that, Alban. That's really interesting to hear that you, you, you did a PhD, but also, it, you know, the funny thing you, you mentioned, your partners asked you to write this book for the junior staff. And what I was hoping would be my very last question, funny enough, was, so you've written this book. It's a very practical guide. It's for investors. It's for students. It's for practitioners. And my question, my last question was going to be, so if you gave this book to say someone who's currently studying and thinking about working in the private equity industry, you know, what is the one thing you want or one or two things that you want them to take from the book? And I was then going to say, you know, do you think it's the sort of thing that you can give to um, junior members of staff in the, in the investment team to make sure that they understand what the values driving one, the organization they're working with are, but also in terms of selecting deals and, you know, sourcing deals. So that's what I was going to ask you. And then I was going to sort of make it about, you know, celebrating you and celebrating your book as well by saying, so you've written this book, you published it late last year um, in the in the middle of the, the COVID pandemic. And I, I wanted to find out, you know, how, what's been the reception um, to the book? You know, what have people said? What are some of the things that they've, they've taken away from it? And is there anything that you've learned since publishing the book that you think, hmm, maybe we might have a second edition with these new insights? Absolutely. Great. Uh, another great question. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks a lot, uh, Yossi. Uh, look, I think the first thing is, uh, uh, you know, when I teach at the university, unfortunately, I cannot do that, um, uh, you know, on a, on a permanent basis. I do it on a part-time and only like five to six uh, days a year. But that's what I try to teach. I try to teach this value creation to the finance uh, masters and to the management, uh, international management masters and you know, masters in business administration groups. And what I'm trying to tell them is that this book is not about finance. It's about management and leadership. And private equity, it is not about finance. Private equity... Many people will think that it's all about finance. Of course, you need to have a strong finance background that helps you to understand and do the, the right analysis and the, the right monitoring from the financial perspective. Because as you know, numbers are the, uh, are the universal uh, language that we speak uh, in business and in, in the finance world. Uh, but uh, the main message to send to the junior staff is that Private equity is not about finance. Private equity is about how do you choose the right, wonderful businesses that you can invest and how you help them 
to go from a good business to great business? How do you make them sure that you create value when you are, when you are working on those? Of course, finance is the measurements of that value creation, right? When you don't measure, you're going to improve. So we have to measure absolutely everything that we create in the company. So it's very important for me that the, the main and most important me uh, message to the junior staff is this is not about just doing an Excel sheet or a, or a spreadsheet or a business model or anything like that. It is about people. It is about processes. It is about a strategy. It is about implementing the right model that will help the companies to go to the next level. It's about, you know, account receivable. It's about accounts payable. It's about working capital needs. It's about cash management. It's about uh, going international. It's about going by building, uh, 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 build the strategies, buy and build the strategies. It's about uh, organic growth. It's about all those things. It's about value creation to the companies that we invest. And that's the big, for me, message. Uh, that I that I send uh, that I send uh, to everyone within the organization. Uh, I think uh, when looking at uh, should I include uh, your second part of the question? Should I include any other aspects? Look, I, I think uh, I think the pandemic has teach us many many things. And one of the things is that when you invest in solid, robust assets, you know those assets can actually go through a crisis, a major global crisis that we had and continue to be good, solid, robust assets. So the value that you have created, of course, get lost in one year because the financial performance is worse. However, the recovery is much faster than anyone else. All of our companies have survived the pandemic and in very, in very good uh, with high marks. And it looks to me that now that, that the, the things are getting better, the companies are growing faster than before. So it tells me that uh, if you have a good company that you uh, in, implement the right level of value creation with very concrete uh, uh, you know, actions and, and with a concrete model, I think uh, it is resilient to crisis and pandemics. So, so far, uh, you know, I haven't seen much, uh, much that I could add, but I'm still in the learning process. Every day when we go out there, you know, uh, uh, you'll see we're learning. We're learning about the sector, we're learning about people, we're learning about the, the context. So also the, the, what I would say would be my answers to your questions. That's great. And again, you, you've talked about the pandemic. And so I had another question about the pandemic, actually, but in a slightly different um, angle. So what, what I wanted to ask you, and again, that was going to be toward the end of the conversation, but I'm so glad that it's all coming out because it's just flowing freely. But what I wanted to say is, so, you know, we've seen the wide reaching impact of a modern global crisis, you know, the whole world. It's, it's very rare for something that starts in one part of the world to affect the rest of the world, the way the pandemic has done so we've seen this wide-reaching impact and you know obviously that's include that's uh, caused some changes even in the investment space but i wanted to find out from you based on everything that's happened in the past year we've seen certain sectors you know and this is from our data tracker as well we've seen certain sectors you know particularly in technology and healthcare and finance really boom during the past year but from your view from the mediterranean capital partners view what do you expect to see in the investment ecosystem based on how things have 
you know, turned out this year. Um, and another thing that we found was that there was more investment in the venture capital space than the private equity space. And so, you know, what does that mean? Has that changed anything for Mediterranean Capital Partners? Um, and if it has, is it in a positive way? What can we expect to see more of from, from your team? Yes, another very good question, uh, Yossi. Thank you for that. Look, I think, uh, you know, the first thing is that, look, the pandemic has uh, given us a, a, a lot of good lessons that we have all learned. I mean, uh, in this case, reality has overcome fiction by far uh, across the board. If you, if you create a movie today about this pandemic, nobody will believe it. Uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, horrendous, a horrendous thing that has happened to, to all of us. I think... Having said that, uh, I think that we are in the world of divergence. Uh, what it means that to me is that you have some sectors which are very strong, clear winners, and some sectors which are very strong, clear losers. You know, you're in the aerospace or in the travel or in the hotel business, and you're suffering big time today. You're in the healthcare or in the Zoom business, and you're uh, making a huge amount of money or in the delivery business, you're making a huge amount of money. So it's, and that also happens with, not only with sectors, with companies, with countries. You have countries that have managed the pandemic very well and some others that have not. Uh, with governments, with families, you have families that they were happy together and, and, and you have like the highest levels of domestic violence, which is terrible for the pandemic. So I think we're in the world of divergence, and that is what's happening in the business environment. You have companies which are doing very well, and you have companies which are doing terrible. You have companies that are surviving and companies which are not. The pandemic, it's a natural filter for good, resilient companies. And that is the reality. So we have added to our you know, investment strategy, you know, not COVID-19 resilient, but pandemic resilient. Because I think we'll see more issues of, uh, of like this in the future, unfortunately. And we have to count on that. That's the first thing. The second thing is that, you know, it comes to me that Africa, of all the continents, is the one that has had less impact, even if in some parts of Africa you're having stronger growth of uh, the virus and all of that. Having said that, remains a very young population, remains a, a very compartmental, uh, you know, country-specific, less travel across than some other parts of the world like US or, or Europe. Uh, so that also remains a strong factor for ensuring that there's less, uh, you know, spread of the virus. But the fundamentals are still there. You know, Africa today is 1.2 billion people going to 2 billion in 2050, going to maybe 3 billion at the end of the century. Demographics are there and they will continue to be there. And that's driving the rise of the middle class and that drives consumption, and that drives the GDP growth, and that drives businesses. So I still think the fundamentals of investing in Africa and SMEs and mid-caps have remained there big time. You know, when you look at Fortune 500, 50% of the businesses, they deliver their returns based on the emerging market's growth, and that will continue like this. Asia continue like this. Asia, uh, Africa, uh, LATAM, Eastern Europe will remain uh, being you know, the, the growth markets that we all expect. So that's, uh, for me, the impact of COVID-19. Uh, you're more selective, of course, but the COVID-19 resilient uh, natural filter 
is 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 driving you know uh, another big variable on the investment uh, capacity. Great, thank you, Albert, for that. So let's let's go back to the book. So you've got this eight-step model in the book, and and that's you know what's driven investments um, by Mediterranean Capital Partner. But I, I wanted us to talk a bit more about one of the steps, and I think it's step five, the the five KPIs. And this one was very interesting to me because it's in my I've I've only been in the private equity space for I think three or four years, and the one thing I always hear about is uh, investing in Africa is a bit different because many African businesses are run by families and they don't always feel comfortable giving up that total control much in the same way um, that private equity investment works in, say, developed markets like the US. And so, so the question then is, you know, I thought it'd be interesting for you to tell us a bit more about how KPIs have played out in Mediterranean capital partners, portfolio companies. Yes, uh, thank you, Yossi, absolutely. I think, uh, uh, you know, we have, uh, we have seen a trend in the market before I go to the KPIs and link to your previous questions on the venture capital. Uh, we have seen a quite a lot of investments in venture capital, but that's mainly driven by the fact that, uh, that um, the, comp the, the, the market has a huge lack of venture capital inflow of money. So... Uh, I think we're lucky enough to see now that space of uh, the uh, financing required for that type of uh, uh, investment now being uh, deployed in Africa. That was something that was needed. It was a vacuum that uh, we had in that space, in the venture capital space. I think now Africa is slowly catching up in that. Uh, so I think the fact that this has happened right after the, 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 uh, you know, the pandemic I think that's probably not uh, not uh, that uh, correlated. In fact, I think it's decorrelated. Is I think the fact that it has been more funds operational and therefore there's been more money deployed into that uh, into that segment. Uh, on the other hand, I think another trend that we're going to be seeing is I think we're going to see more and more majorities investments versus minorities uh, because I think the, the the industry is graduating from just you know, partnering with uh, with a minority shareholder, with majority shareholders, and then funds being minority, and I think that's something that will happen more and more. But going to your question, and that's also linked to the KPIs. You know, look, we found that in all the business, there are five KPIs which are common, um, and the five KPIs are first of all, you know, what is the the growth of the company? Uh, the second one, uh, what is the cash generation of the company? The third one. What is the profits that the company generates? The fourth one, what is the velocity or inventory terms and inventory terms on the wider sense of that word? And the fifth one is what are the customers? Well, how do you, how do you manage and control all the customers? These five KPIs, uh, you know, are critical and they are common in every single, you know, sector being uh, products, manufacturing, commercialization, services. So anything is related to these five. KPIs. Of course, on top of these five KPIs, you have a number of additional KPIs which are specific for the sector or for the company, which is also very important to monitor. To me, the, the sometimes in private business, the hardest of the implementation of all of them is the cash generation KPI. Because you have to differentiate between free cash flow, cash generation, and also what is the cash coming from financing, outside financing or third-party financing? 
So making sure you have a clar clarity of how much business, uh, how much a business are linked to the cash generation. Uh, and that is extremely, extremely relevant, you know, uh, for a company. And I always find that, you know, uh, ensuring that it's a huge differentiator uh, of uh, us as a private firm to, to have a good understanding of the cash generation. Not only the cash that you have today, but how much cash are you going to generate in the future, which I think that brings a huge amount of value for the company because then can, uh, can this cash be generated to have returns as dividends get distributed or even to use them for a continuous uh, reinvestment in the company. No? Uh, that means less uh, uh, you know, bank debt or debt uh, in the company. As the, as the, as the business generation of cash. So I would probably say that cash is the hardest one, not just the hardest one. I would probably say also many times in family owned business, you have to make sure that the owners or the partners, they understand the difference between their cash and the company's cash. That's a simple concept, but sometimes hard for some of the business. Luckily today, as we're in the mid cap and larger space, we have less of, uh, less of that. So that's, that is the, the, the I would say the one that uh, I, I felt that is the hardest one to to implement in terms of the cash generation business that we to that we have in the companies. Yeah, and it's very interesting because as you were saying that um, clearly for a lot of small businesses, particular but in particular, cash is is a is a difficult one, isn't it? Especially I think in this again linking back to the pandemic. One of the biggest issues for a lot of these companies um, when the pandemic hit was liquidity and how investors were coming together to support them. So it's quite interesting to hear you say that cash is o it's almost often the, um, the, the difficult one to implement. Um, so Albert, let's talk a bit more about, uh, I guess, exit. So when Mediterranean, because um, obviously it sounds to me, you know, you're very passionate about the businesses that you select to invest in. And there's this, uh, there's a positive relationship. And this is despite the fact that obviously there will be difficulties sometimes, um, you know, clashes with management and investors. But talk, let's talk about exits, you know, how, <laughs> how, how does it feel when it comes time to uh, leaving um, an, an investment where you've come in and you've made some good progress with the business and then it's time to you know pass it on to that next stage what does that feel like for you um as as a private equity investor particularly in africa look i think uh, what is happening in africa also everywhere but i think africa probably a bit more is that you build a relationship with a partner with your your portfolio partner which are very strong and very emotional so you become friends of them uh, you, because you work so hard with them on, on hand to hand on creating this value, you know. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's sometimes the entrepreneurs they feel that the, well, as soon as you have helped them out to grow the business and the business doing much better, they actually want to hold in the asset. So it's very, very important and very relevant to have like a clear understanding of the importance of alignment of interest between uh, you as an investor and them as a portfolio company. It's a big difference, of course, when you have a majority versus you have a minority. As when you have a minority, it has to be a predetermined, pre-agree, all in writing. And even that, you still want to make sure that you have an ongoing dialogue with your partner to ensure that the dates of the exit are there and they are all to be fulfilled. Having said that, it many times depends on the context. You know, you have, we have great companies now 
in Algeria that are harder to sell because the comp the country is not in the best moment, you know, with uh, with elections next year uh, and also with with uh, with a shuffle on the government. So that all of that gives uncertainty to potential investors outside. So you have to time it very well, and you have in Africa many more variables that go against you on the exit strategies. Uh, the first one, which I think, uh, luckily, we have seen a different trend over the last five years, which is that 50% of the private equity uh, uh, investments in uh, Europe, in OECD countries, actually, are, are done through uh, secondary transactions, one of the larger private equity firms. The difference is that uh, in OECD countries, you have a, a huge amount of uh, private equity firms uh, doing the same thing that we do. In Africa, it is very limited, the number of private firms. Actually, it's extremely limited. When you look at the percentage of GDP investments from private versus not, we are 10 times below those of the OECD. So it's still a long way to go. We need more teams on the ground. We need more people. We need more money. Uh, so then uh, that is a trend that we have seen, luckily. So I think that will continue because we have larger funds looking at uh, buying smaller companies to build apps, platforms, bring economies of scale. So I think that will continue. So I would say that, look, we have, uh, first of all, a, a higher number of variables when we plan the exit. Uh, secondly, uh, a good trend of other private equity firms buying uh, uh, companies from, from private equity firms, which is a, a great, uh, great news. Uh, and definitely you have uh, to ensure that uh, you have a different strategy, you have a majority or minority uh, being uh, ensure, even if you have to always ensure that you have a good alignment of interest with uh, your partner and yourself, you know. Um, so I would say that that's uh, the critical things of the, the, of the exit strategy. Also, uh, you have to differentiate and the exit strategy doesn't start after year five. The exit strategy starts before you invest into the company. You have to differentiate between a good company and a good deal. And also you have to make, make sure that the company is is uh, it has a potential exit, you know. We all talk about the IPOs, which is the other big exit that we like to all to do, but let's face it, it's not always uh, feasible to do that. There's not always liquidity in the capital markets. Uh, there's not always uh, the good window for doing that. And also requires a two to three step exit, meaning that probably you combine the exit with a capital increase and then you have like a lockup period where you have to remain in the capital. So all of those things you have to take into account when planning your exit strategy. We were lucky in uh, last year we did uh, one exit that actually was uh, uh, ex executed and, and, and uh, uh, distributed in the first quarter of this year. Uh, we make 3.4 times our money in, in a great investment in Morocco, uh, in the fintech business. Uh, we, and we're in the process of doing three more exits as we speak. Uh, exits in uh, Africa takes longer, there is lower, and you have to make sure that you have a good planning or your timing uh, uh, in order to, to accomplish uh, those exits in a profitable manner. So you sit on Africa's Sustainability Committee, and we know that sustainability is an increasingly important topic across the world, uh, particularly in the private equity industry. So can you tell us more about some of the trends that you're seeing uh, amongst private equity fund managers and investors around the theme of sustainability? Yeah, look, uh, when talking about uh, sustainability, 
and uh, all the ESG matters, I think today it's fundamental. You know, I think uh, uh, private equity uh, is embracing and needs to continue to embrace all sustainability matters. We have at Mediterranean Capital Partners embraced that a long time ago. Uh, at the beginning, uh, the smaller private equity firms, they saw that as an additional cost to the investment. Today, we see it as a huge benefit. You know, when you are selling your company to a, a strategic buyer, you, you, you have to make sure that uh, you have uh, well in place environmental, social, and governance aspects that bring to life all the mitigating uh, risk factors that in emerging markets are evident. So it's very, very relevant to have introduced these proper processes. And you know, that's something that makes us feel good at the end of the day also. Uh, make us feel good the fact that, uh, you know, when we invest, we not only invest for returns, we also invest to make sure that those companies are sustainable and to make sure that policies like gender equality, you know, that we are embracing big time with a 2x, uh, you know, uh, uh, initiative, uh, also with uh, the, you know, environmental and climate change initiative that we put in place, you know, uh, the companies uh, that we invest in, when you look at it, and they have done an extraordinary uh, number of, uh, of projects and, and, and work and, and, uh, and better processes implementation that uh, actually makes a difference, makes a difference to Africa and makes a difference to the world. And AFCA is doing a phenomenal job on putting that in place. You know, I'm working with a great team in the sustainability and uh, ESG committees, and I feel very proud of the work that we have done. You know, we put the report on a yearly basis. Uh, we talk about it. We put the initiatives of measurements. We, we, we discuss with, you know, the United Nations principle of responsible investment, where we discuss about the new IFU, uh, you know, ESG impact factors. We talk about impact, definition of impact. You know, you have several definitions of impact funds. You know, uh, we embrace uh, many of them. So I think it's a fundamental part of our day-to-day -day activities and a fundamental part for Africa. This is actually probably one of the, the purposes uh, driven uh, in private equity that make us, all of us, feel good and proud of what we do. Um, that, is the, that would be probably my input on that, uh, on that aspect, Yossi. Uh, really rewarding to hear you say that Africa's doing a great job on that because um, that's one of the big things. I mean, we, we published the we published the history of um, private equity in Africa a few years ago, talking about how for Africa, it's always, almost always been about sustainability and impact. So that's um, a very important thing to us. But let's, because um, we've only got a few minutes left, so let's um, talk about people on the outside looking into Africa, you know, that's both investors, but also private equity fund managers, you know, what are some of the misconceptions that people have about investing in Africa? And if we asked you a simple question, how do you, how do you bust that myth for them? What would you say? Yes, another great, great question. Look, I think the biggest myth that we have is that Africa is one place. Africa is not one place to invest. Africa is 54 different countries with 54 different risk profiles, with 54 different types of currency, with 54 different challenges, with 54 different growth uh, patterns and a stable instability. So I think it's very important, first of all, is to say, I want to go to Africa. It's not like, where do you want to go? And, uh, and how do you go? 
I think that's probably the, the, the most important one. Uh, because also another effect that we have in Africa, if something goes wrong in one country, it gets spread uh, across, across the whole Africa. You know? I remember at the time of the Ebola outbreak, that people didn't want to come to Casablanca to do a due diligence because they were afraid of it, you know. So, so that thing that's the first myth that we need to ensure that we overcome by educating investors in conferences and so on and so forth. And Africa is doing a phenomenal job on doing that. That's the first thing. The second thing which I, was, I would say is also that Africa is a higher risk uh, than any other investment in private equity. I, I don't think so. I don't think Africa has a higher risk uh, I think Africa has the same risk patterns when you invest in good companies uh, than you could have an LBO in, in the U.S. You know, uh, I think the critical thing, thing is to, to choose the managers that choose this wonderful business, you know. Uh, and I think uh, choosing the right businesses, and when you're looking at some managers, some of my colleagues, they have phenomenal businesses, you know, uh, today. Um, so that's, that gives you the... I would say the comfort that, uh, that Africa, it's not a, a high business, uh, which include high business, sorry, high risk business, which means high returns, right? So I think the, the critical thing here is to understand that, you know, Africa, it's, it's uh, 54 countries, some uh, riskier than others, and the returns have to be private equity returns. And you should not expect a high return by investing in private equity in Africa. Uh, that's the second big chunk. And I think that the third thing is that, look, in today's world, I think we're going to see a huge inflow of money coming to Africa in the next decade. And I think it's because the, the concept of uh, impact, and, uh, uh, concept of impact it is increased by a factor of 10 every time you invest in Africa. So when you invest, of course, in a, in a private equity in Europe or in the US or any of the OECD countries, you, know, you get a, a, a reward on returns. But when you invest in Africa, you get two double reward. You get the reward and returns, which is nothing better than that. But I think more important, you get a reward on the impact that you create. By definition, investing in Africa creates a huge impact to the world, creates a huge impact to a lot of people, makes this world a better place to be. And I think this is, this is something which I think will, will, uh, investors are starting to see and they're starting to understand that, uh, you know, uh, it is important to invest in emerging markets and it's important to invest in Africa as is one of the key, uh, key continents of uh, growth for the future. Uh, not only because of the impact, but also because of the cannot afford not to be in one of the largest growing comp continents in the world. So this is probably what I would say on the three aspects uh, of why we should be looking at, uh, at, uh, at Africa as an investor. That's wonderful. Um, thank you so much, Albert. It's been really wonderful talking to you and, you know, getting to hear more about, about your thought process, you know, beyond the book. So really grateful for your time. And uh, hopefully we can have more of these, these types of conversations. And, you know, that's where, that's where the conference comes in handy, because then we can talk about these things and showcase the beauty and the potential of Africa to the world. So thank you for writing the book, one. Thank you for being a member of the Africa Sustainability Committee and sharing your insights. And uh, thank you for being one of the people who believe in Africa's growth story. Fantastic. Thank you, uh, Yossi. And thank you, Afka, for inviting me. I think you're doing a phenomenal job. 
I'm here to help you and help anyone else that wants to go into Africa. I'm passionate about the continent and I'm passionate about the job. Thank you very much for the invitation. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about what we do at Africa, visit our website at www.avca-africa.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn to join the conversation and keep up with the latest news across the African private equity.